Robert Nauer here, back once again for another podcast about the Navy Supply Corps and the U.S. Navy. This is going to be Season 2, Podcast Number, Episode 14. Now, in my last podcast, I was talking about being at NAS Willow Grove and going in undercover special assignment for Admiral Ryan. And as a result of the work that I did, I was able to get the choice of my next position anywhere in the world that I wanted to go. And for some strange reason, I got a bug up my ass and I thought, I love San Francisco. Let's go to San Francisco. I could have chosen Hawaii or any other place and I probably should have. No, I chose, I wanted to go as close to San Francisco as possible. And so that's what I asked for. And they came back and they offered me two different positions there. One was as the director of Nice Stars uh, at NAS Alameda. And the other one was the replacement supply officer to become the comptroller and supply officer of Combat Systems Technical Schools Command in Mare Island, just north of San Francisco. So I flew out and I visited Nice Stars, and it was a, it could have been, I guess, interesting, but it was more of nothing but a warehouse job, director of warehousing. And it was the newest thing. It was automatic, uh, automated quick pick that the Navy had just gone into. It would have been a very stressful and very demanding job. And at that time, uh, I had yet gotten a bug up my ass to seek a demanding job. So I turned that one down and I said, let's go for the job at Combat Systems Technical Schools Command, CSTSC, Mare Island. Now, Mare Island was a Navy shipyard. It was an active Navy shipyard and it was also a, a submarine repair base. And on it, there were a couple other commands. Uh, the supply officer of the entire base was a guy by the name of Captain Bishop. And he and his wife were pretty nice. But we found out some really strange stuff about them later. And the commanding officer of the schoolhouse that I went to was a guy by the name of Captain Anderson. Also, um, early 50s kind of guy who was fairly progressive and in terms of social attitudes and things and a really nice guy generally speaking but as all people do they have their quirks so i i ultimately did get married to uh, the girl that i met at nas willow grove and we were able to transfer together out to california along with our two parakeets and our dog that I had just gotten, a puppy. And I reported into CSTSC as the supply officer and the comptroller of, and that was a pretty powerful job because whether you're a dispersing officer or whether you're the comptroller of the base or any comptroller, you are the guy that pulls the purse strings. You are the guy that holds the purse strings and you are the guy that doles it out. And you are the money man. And so anybody who is the money person, they wield a tremendous amount of power. In some cases, even more than the commanding officer does. And if you remember my story about threatening one senior officer who was the 3M officer on the John F. Kennedy into signing off on my PQS qualifications, it was either that or he didn't get his paycheck. And he tested me, and he found out that, lo and behold, 
he didn't get his paycheck. And the very next go around when he came complaining to me about it and was all upset, I said, well, you remember what I said there? Uh, no ticky, no laundry. So if you don't uh, do what I asked, uh, I guess we're maybe not going to find your paycheck again. So he relented and he signed off on my PQS qualifications, which were very time consuming and a lot of bullshit. And then I ended up getting to be the first <laughs> qualified pork chop, at least on my ship. And I didn't have to do hardly any work to get the PQS qualifications signed off on. There's a crime in there somewhere, I, I don't know. But anyway, um, that's what wielding power and holding the purse strings gives you. It gives you a, a tremendous amount of power. Anyway, back to CSTSC. So at TSCSC, um, holding that kind of purse strings, I, I managed close to $10 million in a budget. And then I also, as a contracting officer, was in charge of all contracting and all supply and all inventory. And I had an inventory of uh, weapon systems parts that uh, was like 500 plus million dollars of all kinds of consumables and special repair parts. And on top of that, I also, as a, as a department head, got into all kinds of discussions about things that were going to be done for the command, such as building or uh, building rehab repair, uh, system change outs of weapon systems, because we trained, uh, for example, at CSTSC, we trained all the crypto, let me see if I can say it correctly, cryptologic technicians, the cryptotechs, uh, that did all the top secret cryptology. We trained the sonar tech, radarmen, and a couple others, and, um, and also um, in some other special torpedo kind of training. So we did a lot of different training, and just down the block from us was a special boat unit. The SEALs used special boat units. And it was just one division. And I had actually gone to school at OCS with the commanding officer, or rather the executive officer at the time, a black guy, really nice guy. And we went to OCS together, and he turned out to be there. And, I, and his wife, uh, also a young black lady, she worked in our command. So it was kind of old home day. Anyway, back to the command. So wielding a lot of power uh, i met my senior i met my master chief which was a got wonderful guy by the name of master chief michael batanga and mike batanga was just a tremendously excellent uh supply master chief knew his job very well very easy to get along with uh, and then i had uh, one other chief and i had a head of the purchasing division, the accounting division, uh, Miss Murphy, and a couple of the ladies that worked in the accounting shop, a young Filipino gal, and for the life of me, I, I forget her name at the, this time, but really, uh, she started out as a school intern, and then she ended up being a financial tech for us. Captain Anderson was a very strange creature. Uh, from the day we met him, and he took command of that facility over from Captain Vellum, he was kind of a laissez-faire kind of guy. In other words, do whatever you like to do, do whatever makes you happy, so long as you don't break the rules. So one of the first things I did as a supply officer and comptroller was I, I wanted to always find out for the guys that wrote my fitness reports 
what their likes and dislikes were. And it was a little hard to find out, but one day when he came down to my office to spend some more time with me, getting to know me, uh, he seemed a little upset. And I said, what, what seems to be the problem, Skipper? And Captain Anderson said, well, everybody, every other goddamn commanding officer on this island has a car except me. I said, you don't have a command vehicle? He goes, no, I don't. They, won't, they say I don't rate one. So right then the light bulbs went on and I, my wheels started spinning and I figured out how could I get him a command car that was even better than what the other commanding officers had. So that was in the back of my book. Later on we had some department head meetings and in one of the department head meetings Captain Anderson said, you know folks, I, I, I get the feeling that some of you aren't as happy as you should be here at CSTSC. I would like each of you to think of your office and your employees as family. And therefore, I would like you to decorate your office, do anything you want to make your office feel like home. And we all, as department heads, were kind of eyeing each other. And I said, Captain, do you mean, for example, that if I wanted to bring my, <laughs> and this is funny, if I wanted to bring my parrot into work because I have a cockatoo that I could bring my cockatoo into work and he said sure and I'm thinking to myself wow that's weird because I had a parakeet at my last command and he shit on a Marine Corps major and and caused the Marine Corps major thinking he was a bat in an old World War II building to hit his head and it was kind of funny but he got all pissy about it I said no shit so you will let me bring my cockatoo in in a big cage. He goes, sure, if that's what makes you happy. Well, being the supply officer and the comptroller, I did some things that maybe you couldn't do today. I bought special curtains for our office. I allowed the female technicians to decide what their color scheme would be for their office, uh, repainted their office, I had painting parties. I'd have them come in on the weekend with the enlisted people. We'd have beer and wine and paint the place out. And we did all kinds of non-Navy colors just to spruce the place up that other Navy commands would never do. Normally, in a military Navy command, your, your walls are either painted puke green, light blue, or a very light Navy gray or just plain white. There is no room for pinks, chartreuse, reds, blue, deep blues, or any of that crap. But that's exactly what we did. <laughs> we took the finance office and we painted one wall entirely dark, dark blue. And the two side walls, we painted a, uh, a chartreuse. Now, the girls liked it, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the other officers from the command, when they'd walk into the finance office, they would they would do a double take. I also changed all the carpet out, got brand new industrial strength, beautiful carpet with designs on it, bought some of them new furniture, including myself, a new desk in my office and one for my deputy. And uh, so basically, we outfitted our office spaces to make it. And I even bought plants, lots of 
real and fake plants for the office so that it looked like a jungle when you walked into our office. And even the bird liked it. Uh, in the in, in my office with my deputy, we had two palm mini palm trees. <laughs> oh, it was funny. Anyway, we had a great time doing that. Probably shouldn't have spent that kind of taxpayer money for that, but we did in fact turn our office spaces into more of a home environment, and uh, we would have sort of party with our employees having cookouts and stuff out back in the parking lot and so anyway as time went on I got to know a little bit more about the other department heads and Captain Anderson and it seems that a lieutenant by the name of Harris Lieutenant Harris and there was another lieutenant by the name of Jones had persuaded Captain Anderson and his then girlfriend I guess she became later his wife. They had persuaded Captain Anderson to join a active social group. I don't even really know what you'd call it. Kind of a cult. Not a real cult. It was called Lifespring. And in what Lieutenant Jones came down one day to tell me about after my deputy, Lee LeClaire, Former Master Chief said, Bob, you shouldn't get involved with that. I'm telling you, you don't want to get involved with LifeSpring. He goes, I know a lot about it. And I said, well, what's the deal? And he goes, it's a wife-swapping group. They, they attend meetings, and it turns out that most of the people that go there end up with other people. I said, seriously? I said, as a matter of fact, Lieutenant Jones' wife, who was a... Uh, Thai or Vietnamese, Vietnamese, she had come from the mountain yards and he had brought her back sort of ignorant to the United States. She didn't know anything about America and how things worked. And uh, he just wanted a wife that was basically would do what she was told, wash his feet, whatever. But as she became more Americanized, she wasn't happy. So when she attended LifeSpring, she decided to divorce him and, and go with one of the other LifeSpring partners. And um, other and one of the finance gals out of my office with Lieutenant Harris attended LifeSpring. And, and then finally Captain Anderson and his girlfriend did. And from everything I could discern about this cult called LifeSpring was it was more of a sex and wife swapping kind of group than it was... Um, to improve your personal um, sauna or whatever. So I, I, I kind of like um, gave them the sign of uh, Satan and said, no, I don't think I, I'm not interested. No, I appreciate your inviting me and everything to join LifeSpring, but I don't think I'm going to do that. And when I told my wife about it, she said, hell no, we're not, not going to attend any LifeSpring meetings. So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, there was a lot of hanky-panky that did go on in the command. But ultimately, like I was saying, I did get the commanding officer. I called GSA, and I ended up getting him a brand-new Chrysler uh, Imperial that I rented, or leased, rather, for the command, which you can do on a GSA contract. And I had special signs made for him that looked Navy-like. 
and I got him a Navy license tag that said Commanding Officer U.S. Navy. And I made sure that the car that I ordered for Captain Anderson looked Navy color. It was Navy gray. Actually, it was light blue. It was light blue, but it had Navy gray seats in it, leather seats. None of the other commanding officers drove uh, CO cars that had adjustable leather seats. The car that I got for Captain Anderson had power leather seats, uh, AM FM stereo, air conditioning. It was a nice car for that time. That was 1980. And I drove it up to the front of the command and I walked into his office and I rapped on the door and went, Skipper, uh, could I see you for a moment? And he says, sure, come on in, Bobby. And I said, I've got, I've got a present for you out front. And he goes, a present? I said, yes, sir. I said, think you're going to like it. So I said, come with me out in front of the command. And I got the command photographer to come down too. And I said, here is your new command car, Skipper. And I had the uh, photographer take photos for the command uh, journal and for the base newspaper. And he was just blown away by the fact that I was able to get him a command car that was so fancy. It was like a limousine. And and even though he didn't <laughs> have his own driver, he drove it around the base himself. He was in love with the car. And the XO was blown away that I was able to get the skipper a command car. When all the previous supply officers had not been able to do that for any of their predecessors. And here all of a sudden, this new supply officer, namely me, was able to get the commanding officer his own command car. Well, he fell in love with it, and as a result, he sort of fell in love with me, and I could do no wrong. I did do some wrong. Uh, one time I T-boned a uh, yellow gear truck coming down the road because the sun was in my eyes and I didn't see it, and I crashed the supply car, and I went, oh, shit, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this. Well, needless to say, I didn't get in any trouble sort of hid the issue, fixed the car before I ever returned it to GSA, and all was well. Pretty much anything that happened at CSTSC was sort of like Vegas. It stayed within CSTSC and, and within the supply department, and nobody else knew. At least until that one fateful date when I found out that Lieutenant Harris's girlfriend, who worked in my office, who had said she was sick and wasn't really sick, she had instead gone to SeaWorld and claimed to be sick, which is sort of what you call time card fraud. And I chewed her ass out about it and told her to never do it again. And I was able to find out because I sent one of my enlisted people over to her house to see if she was really sick. And no, she was gone. And the neighbor told me she had gone to SeaWorld with her kids. I said, uh-huh, she lied. So anyway, I chastised her and chewed her out. Well, what did she do? She went straight up to Captain Anderson, whining and crying that I had chewed her ass out about time card fraud and that uh, if she did it again, I was going to get her in trouble, which I would have. I probably would have terminated her. But anyway, she finked on me, and then when uh, 
I went to get my fitness report at the end of the year. I said, Captain, what is this letter B here? I said, I've got straight A's and straight four O's and everything else. And you gave me this little B for judgment. And he goes, oh, I think you know, Bobby. And I said, what do you mean, Skipper? And he goes, think. I said, I'm thinking, I don't know. And he goes, well, he goes, then I'm going to tell you. He goes, you remember when um, you chastised Karen for committing what you called time card fraud? I said, yeah. So what was wrong? He goes, well, she told me about it. And he goes, and personally, I don't think that was good judgment on your part. Even if she did commit time card fraud, well, I'm just not too thrilled about that. Well, when I went down and talked to Lee LeClaire, my deputy, he said, Bobby, I warned you. He goes, I thought I told you at one point that uh, Karen was real close and tight with the commanding officer. I said, I don't remember you ever saying that to me, Lee. And he goes, yeah, I did. You just let it go in one ear and out the other. So he says, the, one of the old rules in the Navy is you need to really know who is friends with who before you reign on their parade. I said, yeah, I can see you're correct about that. Anyway, I asked Captain Anderson if he would ever change that grade. He said, no. Uh, Later on, he did. He actually relented about two years later when I was getting ready to get out of the Navy um, because of me being a whistleblower. And he did. He went back in and he changed the grade to an A uh, because he, would knew, knew, he, he knew I would need it if I was staying in the reserves. So, anyway, Captain Anderson wasn't a bad guy. But one of the other strange and interesting things that did happen when I was at CSTSC Mare Island we had our annual supply ball. Every year, the Navy Supply Corps has a ball. And we dressed up and we went down to San Francisco to um, attend the ball. And Captain Bishop from the base was there. I was there and about, God, 200 other supply officers from all over the area. And it was getting late. We were all drinking. And my wife and I, and she was a PN2 by that point in time, we said, wow, we've got to, we've got to drive all the way back from uh, Alameda, all the way back from the Alameda Officers Club to Mare Island, Vallejo, California. And that was quite a drive, especially when you had been drinking. And I said, so we need to leave. So I started to beg off and say goodbye. And then Captain Bishop came up to me and my wife, and he said, hey, Bob, you don't need to leave. You can stay overnight with us in our hotel. And I said, I looked at my wife, and I said, what are you talking about, Captain Bishop? And he said, no, 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 we've got, he says, Lieutenant Williams over here and Lieutenant so-and-so and his wife, we're all staying in such-and-such hotel down in downtown San Francisco, just across from uh, the bridge in um, Oakland. And um, it's quite a swanky room. Anyway, we're going to have lots of drinks and you and your wife. I said, we don't have any clothes for staying overnight. And he goes, you don't need any clothes. Clothing is optional, if you know what I mean. 
And right then when he said that, red flags and bells went off in our heads. And I'm going, I'm looking at my wife and I'm going, no, I don't think so. But I didn't say that to the captain. I said, I appreciate that, Captain Bishop. That's very kind of you to offer us to stay in your hotel room. But we knew what he really meant. And it turns out that everybody on that goddamn base was involved in life spring, which I was talking about earlier. And I and I so I got back the next day on Monday and I told my deputy, I said, Lee, you ain't gonna believe this shit. But when we went to the supply ball and we were sitting at um Admiral what was his name? I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He was Reserve Admiral's table. Really nice guy. Uh, he was he worked for one of the financial houses in downtown San Francisco. Anyway, um, I told my deputy Leah Leclerc, I said, Captain Bishop and a bunch of other people wanted us to sleep overnight with them uh, and have no clothes on, so to speak, if you know what I mean. And he goes, God damn it, Bob, didn't you know that they were members of LifeSpring? And I said, no, I did not leave. <laughs> and I said, but God damn it. He goes, everybody on this fucking base is a member of LifeSpring except for you and me. And he goes, and I warned you about them. I said, I remember you warning me. And so I did not take them up on their offer to sleep overnight. And he goes, and you're damn lucky you didn't. And so, what what does that really show you about the Navy? Well, it says there's some very strange people. There are also some really wonderful people. I met some really wonderful guys. And um, it just, but oh, and the, and then one last thing before I end this episode. So I get a call from Captain Anderson towards the end of my tour there. And he says, hey, Bob, he goes, I hear you're a pretty good golfer. I said, yes, sir, I am. I've been playing since I was six years old. He goes, well, believe it or not, the chief of naval operations, and all I heard was, all, <laughs> all I heard was the chief of naval operations is coming and would like a foursome to play golf with him. So I'm going to play, and Lieutenant so-and-so is going to play with his aide. Would you like to play? And he, he did that because I had gotten him that commanding officer's car. And he really liked me for that. But I never heard the word Sri Lanka. <laughs> so I thought it was the chief of naval operations for the U.S. Navy. It turned out that it was going to be the chief of naval operations for Sri Lanka, which is like, what do they have, two ships? <laughs> so... To me, that was always a really funny story because when I showed up and we drove in his car, we drove down to a uh, to Naval Air Station Alameda Golf Course, which is where we played. He introduces me to the Chief of Naval Operations for Sri Lanka. Oh man, that was I was like, what the fuck? Funniest thing that ever happened. Anyway, it was a great command. I loved going to Mare Island. I loved my time at CSTSC. And uh, life in the Navy goes on. So with that, till the next episode, which I think, I'm not sure. We'll see what episode that's going to be. Bob out. <laughs>